A note to listeners. This episode contains references to sexual assault, physical violence, and offensive language. You might be here just to hang out with your friends, but I hope when you leave here, you've actually learned something and you're able to lead an anti-racist life. And I understand that it's baby steps towards that, but we have all here got a lot of work to do. A lot of work. From the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project, my name is Nathaniel Mung. My pronouns are he, him. We are students at Roanoke College in the class Introduction to Public History, working in collaboration with the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project. This podcast episode is on the history of LGBTQ people and the police in Roanoke, Virginia. Part 1. Laws. I was a homosexual, which was against the law. It's only a recent development that discrimination based on gender identity or sexual orientation is legally prohibited. Historically, various laws and policies were in place that enabled the government to actively oppress LGBTQ people. After the repeal of federal prohibition laws in 1934, many states, including Virginia, set up the Alcoholic Beverages Control Boards, also known as the ABC. The ABC law in Virginia put government regulation on the sale of alcoholic beverages. By 1950, ABC laws specifically targeted quote-unquote known homosexuals. Oh, it was fun. Um, you'd walk in, and there was a huge sign on the front door, and it was the ABC laws. You can't serve no homosexuals, drug addicts, prostitutes, and it was right there at the door when you walked in. We danced, and Donna Summer was the deal. And the owner Murphy's, we'd be cuddled up a little bit, and he would shine a light on you, flashlight. And he'd say, you can do it in your car, but you're not going to do it in here. And so we'd just be hugging her, maybe a kiss, but nothing past that. That language about known homosexuals was not repealed until 1991. Therefore, it was illegal to own or operate a gay bar any time 
between 1950 until 1991 in Virginia. In the late 60s and all through the 70s, downtown Roanoke was the gridlock district. We're talking hoes, guys dressed up in women's clothing, making a living or trying to make a living, if you want to use the term drag queens, which was really funny because the, the statute of the law back then, the police would arrest you if you were in women's clothing. You've never seen so many drag queens jump over a car like Ellie Mae Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies trying to run from the police because they would arrest you even if you were soliciting sexual favors or whatever. Downtown was, uh, the city market was just dive bars and prostitutes and drag queens and, and the businesses that were down there. But it was, a, it was a gritty and rough place after business hours. It became a whole other world. I loved it. In 1977, the city of Roanoke proposed a law with the goal of decreasing the number of transgender sex workers. The law only prohibited cross-dressing, not prostitution, thus allowing cisgender sex workers to continue to work in the market district. When the law ultimately did not pass, the police force cracked down on all sex workers, both trans and cis, in an attempt to move them away from downtown Roanoke. In the late 1980s, the city of Roanoke attempted to crack down on trans sex workers and homosexual men involved in public sex. One of the ways they did this was through a city ordinance on solicitation. They came up with city solicitation ordinance and they came up with it to only get transvestite and homosexual men in trouble. They wrote up a law that says that anybody who for the purposes of having sex, takes anything in consideration, shall be guilty of a first-class misdemeanor, violation of the city ordinance. And whenever they actually adopted this law, I went, I was at city council meeting that night, and I was dressed as a boy, and I said to them, y'all can't do that. And they said, you need to sit down and be quiet. I said, look, I'm a registered voter. I have a right to talk. I said, now, you can't take out an element of a crime. I'm not a lawyer, but any idiot that's ever did anything with law knows you have to prove all the elements. They convicted 387 people on that. I was the 388th one. A lot has changed since, and protections for and recognitions of the rights of LGBTQ persons have been increasing in southern states, with Virginia leading the way. I think if we can finish getting the Virginia Values Act passed, that's going to do a lot for people around here. Since the governor says he'll sign it, and then we'll be the first state in the South with housing and employment protections for LGBT folks. Just two months after this plea, in April 2020, the governor did in fact sign the Virginia Values Act. Also, House Bill 1948 awaits Virginia's Senate approval and seeks to dismantle Virginia law enforcement's profiling of LGBTQ people. Only time will tell how these laws will impact the LGBTQ community, but there is reason for hope.
Part 2 Spaces And you could go over, pick up the one you wanted, talk to them a little bit, take them somewhere, bring them back. Um, but they're toward, um, I guess, 19... Maybe 1983 or so, the cops cracked down on that and you couldn't find these guys anywhere. When considering the spaces where LGBTQ people have historically gathered and have been persecuted, three categories come to mind. Bars and clubs, cruising sites, and spaces of sex work. A cruising site is an area at which individuals can wander around and be approached by other individuals looking for a sexual partner. It's a mutual exchange, which distinguishes it from sex work, as there is no money changing hands in these encounters. Since the 1960s, Roanoke City has had several notorious gay cruising districts, and the police have always cracked down on these spaces. There were, there were other places. Uh, the parks uh, were one of them. Um, Highland Park uh, uh, was one of the biggest, Wasina Park was the other one. Uh, just about any park in any state becomes kind of a cruising area. You uh, go in after dark and you um, you just walk around and people will be behind trees, they'll be looking, they'll be standing, and it, different than people just in the park uh, laying out on a blanket or whatever. You can tell that they are available or that they're looking for things. And again, it's that scary thing where you don't know if it's somebody that's going to hurt you or if it's an undercover cop or whatever. There were some uh, hustler people that would hang out in the parks um, and uh, didn't hang out on the block. And that kind of went away because the cops cracked down on that and were arresting these guys in the park because a lot of them were homeless or on drugs or whatever. And uh, when they couldn't provide ID or have a car there, then the police would take them in, and then that, that kind of cleared up the parks. So that the, the cruising thing in itself, unless you go to places uh, like the park um, or other gay-friendly restaurants, um, you can't find gay people cruising in public, hanging out and, and uh, wanting sex. You can't find those as much as you could back uh, 20 years ago. At its peak in the late 1970s, Roanoke had as many as six different gay bars and nightclubs. Sometimes, undercover police entered these bars, looking for evidence of crimes being committed. The first known gay bar in Roanoke was the Tradewinds, which opened in 1953. Until 1973, it was the only gay bar in the city, and thus it was also the ideal hunting ground for police looking to crack down on homosexual activity. to dance with one another. And I recall being there on a Saturday night and looking around, and you can pick out, I knew nothing about the Vice Squad, but God, when you dress like you're going to a Baptist church <laughs> and you're standing there in the middle of a queer place, you're going to stand out, boys, you know? <laughs> 
There were also locals in the city where people engaged in sex work. Police crackdowns on sex work in Roanoke came in waves, first in the late 1970s and then again at the height of the AIDS crisis in the late 80s and early 90s. These crackdowns often particularly targeted transgender sex workers. There was a house on Highland Avenue that was known as the prostitution house. I was arrested in that house. I wasn't prostituting in the house. I was visiting my supposed boyfriend at the time. The vice kicked in the door and when they did, it had a big glass knob. It hit us in his hip and broke his hip. We had to carry him two blocks down the street to Lot's funeral home so the ambulance could pick him up. transvestites used to carry hammers and things of that nature so they didn't get charged with carrying a concealed weapon. It's a tool. Um, I had been taught by them and raised by them out in the streets. Historically, policing of the LGBTQ community in Roanoke has always existed. When LGBTQ people congregate in a given area, it naturally makes it easier for them to be singled out by those looking to persecute individuals on the basis of their identities. Some of these spaces still exist, while others have come and gone and changed with the times. Part three. The Sting. In the autumn of 1998, more than a dozen men were arrested in Wasina in Highland Parks in Roanoke, Virginia charged with solicitation to commit a felony. The police applied Virginia's Crimes Against Nature Act, which made oral or anal sex between any couple, no matter their gender, illegal and a chargeable offense. Um, around the time that it came out, there was also this huge sting operation that happened. And there were 17 gay men that were arrested um, for soliciting sex. Um, it wasn't for payment, but they were they were still arrested, one of which was a teacher in my, my high school. And there was another teacher uh, that that was part of those. It, was, it, it ended up being, I think, 17 that were convicted, but I think 22 had been arrested. Um, but there, the other ones, I think, were of questionable, you know, whether or not it was more forceful or whatever. It was, and that was between the two parks of... Highland Park and Wysena Park. Wysena Park is now not drive-through, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's now just a greenway. The police sting and the subsequent trials sparked outrage in Roanoke's gay community. It was the last great roundup of gay men in Roanoke's history, a practice that had been taking place since the late 1960s at known gay cruising area. Thank mm-hmm. you.
requested. You know, we went to talk to city council and to the mayor and so forth. And uh, one of our members was a, a out gay attorney, Sam Garrison, and he he um, represented the men who had been uh, arrested, and he had a um, uh, am amazing day in court, uh, where we all came and packed the packed the gallery, so to speak. <laughs> um, of course, he didn't win that case, but educated a few people in the process. Most of the accused men took plea deals or received fines and probation. A few were dismissed and two were found guilty, but the notoriety of the Wasima Park sting affected the community for the long term. In nearby Highland Park, the police made moves once again in the early 2000s to crack down on gay cruising. When I came back to Roanoke, uh, that's where I noticed some of the, um, the, the stings and the uh, changes in the parks to try to alleviate uh, people being gay, basically. Um, we did have the uh, the bar of the park, but only open three or four days a week. The only other place to meet folks were in parks, and um, they would do stings and, and set people up. I mean, put uh, undercover cops out there, and if you approached them, you'd get arrested. At one point, I think they arrested 23 people in one night. Um, one sheriff took over several years ago and cleared all the brush up uh, the side of uh, Highland Park over next... Uh, overlooking the railroad track right at the dog park so that guys couldn't go over there in the bushes or if they did they'd be seen so they were doing everything they could to eradicate gayness like uh, they couldn't do that but they just wanted to get it off the out of the out from in the open and off the street Wasina Park is now dominated by a five and a half mile long greenway the road upon which gay men drove in and out of the park was removed effectively ending the cruising scene in the park and restricting gay people further into the shrinking number of bars in the downtown area. Part 4. Black and Trans When it comes to the treatment of LGBTQ people by the police and the greater criminal justice system, things only get worse when someone's LGBTQ identity intersects with other marginalized identities. There is a definite overrepresentation of people with intersecting identities in the criminal justice system. LGBTQ sex workers and people of color are often approached, if not harassed, by police when they have done nothing wrong. Many minorities often feel the need to protect themselves from those who are sworn to protect. I'm not that bad of a person, but I, the courthouse has always had the deck stacked against gay people. I mean, I, I really went through a whole lot. I was sitting beside my mother, an officer came up to me, and like I told you, my mama was my greatest love. And he asked me, where was my red dress at? And I said, your daddy bought it, your short sawed off SOB. He said, you're under arrest. I said, what for? He said, threatening the police officer. I said, you better not put your hands on me.
Race has played a decisive role in community policing within Roanoke, just like in the rest of the country. There is a long history of police targeting black people for their sexual behaviors. In 1922, for example, 149 people were charged with fornication, most of whom were black. Black members of the LGBTQ community saw harassment from the police because their sexuality was often compounded by their race. My main interaction with the LGBT community, or my first real interaction with the LGBT community, was during a time when I was in prison. And, um, you know, they recognized me from the beginning and uh, approached me, had some conversations with me, um, tried to teach me how to be safe, try to help me get you know, a safe roommate, that type of thing, and how to deal with you know, the, the prison life. So, uh, but that interaction, um, because of all the places that I've been in Virginia, I never really ran into any other transsexuals. Um, not, saying that they weren't there, just I never ran into it or never had conversations with anybody. Um, so unfortunately, it's sad that I, I had to, it's sad that I went to prison and I had to learn from that experience about my community. For many, especially LGBTQ people, the prison system in the United States, including Virginia, can be frightening and unsafe. Often those from the community work together to provide some form of safety from prison guards and other inmates. Did you instances or experiences that, were, that resonated with you from prison? I mean, good or bad? Mm, I, I had one bad experience. I, I've been uh, um, raped while I was in prison in 1994. Um, it was three black men, and um, 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 I would say I don't think I don't think that 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 was my determining factor to be exclusively attracted to white, female, uh, white males because um, I actually think that they, I actually think that every race has you know, attractive men in them. and that's honest um, but um, that, were, that was the only you know, incident that, that was really negative that happened. I, I think it was mostly because I was naive. Um, I pretty much didn't want to have, you know, uh, I was attracted to, to guys in prison 
and I didn't want to have, I didn't want to just get for anybody. Um, and so, me by me saying no was very offensive to, to some of the guys in prison. Part 5, today. Now, I can't remember the year, but there was a situation um, where somebody from out of town walked into Corn Beef and Company and got directions to the park. And when they gave them directions, just like anybody would, and as they walked out the door, the guy made a comment, I'm gonna go kill a bunch of faggots. Well, they immediately called the police. Well, the police went to the park, thinking that's where this guy's going because that's where he got directions to. But he did not go to the park. He went to the little bar on 7th Avenue called Back Street. Walked in, sat down, had a beer with several people stood up and just fired point blank and shot seven people and killed, killed one. And then right after that, there, there was a candlelight vigil and there was probably close to six or 700 people that met in Elmwood Park. But nothing happened that night. The, the police were fantastic. They blocked it off uh, Salem Avenue. We came out of Elmwood Park onto Salem Avenue, and the march went from there, up Salem Avenue, to where Backstreet Bar is, and that's where the candlelight picture was. While the new millennium brought about hopes and dreams for many, the LGBTQ community in Southwest Virginia was rocked by tragedy. However, while the police had tense relations in the past with the community, everyone came together to heal. checking out Roanoke, I learned that a year before there had been a gun violence incident at the Backstreet Cafe on Salem Avenue where a gunman had opened fire, realizing that it was a gay bar, had killed one person and injured six, and I thought, good gosh, what am I doing moving to Roanoke where this is happening? But I also noticed that the city didn't condone that violence. They rallied and said, it's not acceptable here. It's, this isn't the kind of city we want to be. As time passed, attitudes among local police departments regarding LGBTQ communities have begun to shift, and especially in higher positions on the force. But one of the things that impressed me about Chief Jones was his... Um, Clearly he was knowledgeable about those challenges, um, and he even conveyed a story that uh, he teaches at Virginia Western about uh, in, you know, encouraging people to consider law enforcement, and, and he talked about a, a transgender student um, coming 
and asking, you know, could I apply for a, a spot on the police force? And he explained the process, and he said, you can, and we would, we would be glad to welcome you. You know, you have to go through police academy and all of those things. But I was really impressed with uh, that approach. There have been great strides and changes in the relationship between the police and the LGBTQ community. However, issues still plague interactions with historically police populations, including particularly people of color. But I'm not talking about from the standpoint of LGB uh, community and Afro-Americans. I'm talking about no matter what you, you want to say, we don't want to talk about it. We just don't. Uh, the system is rigged. It's a constant challenge. According to the Human Rights Campaign, through their Municipal Equity Index, the City of Roanoke scored 54 out of 100 when it comes to creating a safe and supportive environment for LGBTQ residents. When it came to evaluating the relationship between law enforcement and the LGBTQ community, Roanoke scored 12 out of 22. And, and, and look at, at like um, a lot of your actors and things. They're no longer afraid to say, I'm gay or I've gotten married or whatever. You can pick up any magazine and, and start looking like, and it'll say, so-and-so got married. I'm like, oh, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. A lot farther, really, than I would have ever thought would happen in my life. And, and I think it was time. But it's going to take some time. It's, it's going to take But I think that we're capable. Because I think that we're better. We are, we're better than hatred. You know, we're better than the racism and anti-gay. We're better. We're better than that. Thank you to Dr. Gregory Samantha Rosenthal, Oliver McKeon, Lena Morales, and Tatiana Durant for the contributions to this podcast. All the audio interviews in this episode are drawn from oral histories in the LGBTQ History Collection in the Virginia Room, Roanoke Public Libraries located in Roanoke, Virginia. The oral history narrators featured in today's program include Robin Jordan, Peter Thornhill, Don Muse, Anonymous, Nathaniel Preston, Theodore Castle, Mary Banky, Roger Saunders, Meyer S. Reed, Risa, Daddy Sam, Joe Cobb, and Yodi Cleveland Swain. All of the music in today's podcast is courtesy of Audionautics, Blue Dot Sessions, Feslian Studios. Kevin Luce at freesound.org. Kevin McLeod at filmmusic.io. Nathaniel Ma, Purple Planet Music. And Shane Ivers at solarmansound.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share. 
You can find more information about the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project and this podcast at www.lgbthistory.pages.roanoke.ed. We are also on Facebook at Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project. And follow us on Instagram at SWVA LGBTQ History. Thank you for your contributions to making history with us.